Betsy with the Dickey Foundation, and I'm thrilled because my guest today is Dallas Police Department Assistant Chief Ruben Ramirez. He has been with DPD for more than 25 years. He's where he started in patrol and worked his way up to detective in narcotics, sergeant of police with major crimes, lieutenant over the criminal intelligence unit, deputy chief of police, and now the assistant chief of police. He leads Dallas Police Department's legislative efforts, representing the department in Austin as the legislative liaison. He's also served as Latino liaison for the department and can often be seen representing DPD in the media for high profile cases. Thanks so much for joining me today, Chief. So those those of the folks who are listening who may not know you quite as well, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, how, you, how you got into law enforcement and how you came to be where you are now. Okay, well, so, uh, well, I was a, uh, I grew up in South Texas. Uh, my parents are farmers, hay farmers. So up until, um, in high school, I was a I was a farmer, a hay farmer myself, and couldn't wait to leave leave that town. And uh, I ironically, can't wait to get back now. But um, eventually, moved up to San Antonio, went to college in San Antonio, um, and I was a couple years into college and realizing that I uh, needed to, um, you know, trying to figure out like most college kids, what what do you want to do? What do what do you want to become? And uh, yeah, I I remember one morning uh, going out and getting the newspaper. And seeing that Dallas Police was having a, a job fair uh, at, at uh, a local college, San Antonio College, it was a community college in San Antonio where I attended at the time, and and so um, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it and rounded up a few of my friends, and and we went and uh, all started the process to become Dallas police officers. And uh, you know, by the time it was said and done, my friends had one by one, kind of for whatever reason, uh, you know, been shaken out. And uh, anyway, so I found myself in position to. Uh, to you know, to to become a Dallas police officer and talk to my folks about it, and and uh, they they didn't like the idea at first, but I was I was 21 years old, and and um, and uh, you know I I thought uh, you know I'm gonna give it a try, and so you know uh, by the time I uh, eventually you know I was 22 years old, starting the police academy, and and the past 25 and a half years has has, has now flown by, so it, it's kind of you, know, you know it was I wasn't the the guy that aspired to become a police officer all my life. It was more of one of those things where I, I really just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to make something in my life. I wanted to make sure that I wanted to do something. And, and uh, uh, anyway, so arriving here at that young age, just, it was culture shock, never really seen um, injury, you know, hadn't, uh, hadn't really seen anyone. I probably one of the things that's really uh, has impacted me even throughout the last 25 years, is just the culture shock of never having seen someone killed, you know, Growing up in farm, you know, town of South Texas, I uh, hadn't really wasn't really sure, uh, probably even really mature enough to to understand the impacts of those kinds of um, you know seeing those kinds of, of scenes and, and maybe going to those kinds of adrenaline, you know, versus uh, uh, you know up against boredom to back to adrenaline and then just kind of those influxes and and then really the emotion of of tragedy kind of being part of it was just something that really early on in my career is, has kind of, um, it's shaped me. It's kind of, kind of led me to, to really focus on some of the impacts of, of what I think our young police men and women, uh, throughout the country experience. And, uh, and I felt like, uh, you know, when those opportunities throughout this last 25 years have presented themselves, I've, I've promoted, I've gotten to a, maybe a, you know, a, a greater position of, of influence, a kind of a little higher, um, platform to be able to assess and look out for some of our people and, and kind of uh, have these types of discussions. Anyway, it's all, it's just, it's been a, it's, it's, 
it's really been a blessing. It's been a, it's been a really good 25 and a half years. Well, and you've done quite a different number of different things in, in 25 and a half years with the department. What, what's been your favorite and what's been the most challenging? Uh, that's a terrific question. Probably my favorite assignment was uh, undercover narcotics. I, I was an undercover narcotics detective for about five years. And um, without a doubt, the, the most uh, challenging assignment that, that you can have as a police officer um, but not really because of the threat or the danger or kind of, you know, surrounding yourself with, you know, brushing up with the criminal element, like, like you might think, uh, really one of the, the, the most challenging thing about being an undercover officer is, is, uh, I, I believe what it does to, what it does to you as, um, what you're asked to do in from a behavior standpoint, you take your average, you know, your majority of your police officers are law abiding. They come from law abiding families. They really, uh, you know, generally, you know, aiming to do what's right and probably avoid bad circles and those types of things. You get into an undercover role. Now we're, we're putting you right in the middle of, and we're telling you to associate with these, with these, uh, less desirables with the, with these criminal elements. And, and, and you've got to really be really good at it in order to, to make the cases and get the type of information intelligence that you're, that you're looking for. But we, uh, we sometimes forget, um, or dismiss or minimize the power of influence and, and you are who you surround yourself with and you are susceptible to different characteristics and behaviors and, and even conversations and, and thought patterns when you're placed into these roles. And so you do, you know, five years into these circles, you're, you're probably lying more than you normally lie for a purpose, but, uh, you're certainly, um, interacting, you know, with different, you know, groups and, 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 uh, you know, there's alcohol that's involved, there's money that's involved. Uh, it, it, it can impact you, uh, I think at an extremely high level. And so when I look back on my career and I look at some of the things that, that I was involved in all to, to try to, you know, arrest a bigger drug dealer, uh, I think, you know, the group of men and women that I was in narcotics with at the time, I thought were, were exceptional, but very few of us left narcotics or that undercover role better than we were when we got there. And, and so I think it's incredibly important now, even being assistant chief over narcotics that our supervisors are really embedded and really assessing, knowing what to look for, knowing where those pitfalls are and those behaviors are and those differences and, and what the, that officer may have been like, you know, prior to, uh, to be able to protect them. Well, and knowing that th that and hearing that and kind of how that obviously impacts people's mental health, knowing that mental health is really a uh, for, for police, for general public, but particularly for the police is really a passion uh, of yours. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, you know, it, it is. It absolutely is. And and, and there's a, a number of reasons why. Um, but I think uh, probably on the, in the broader sense, uh, I think it's um, I could make an argument that the model of policing, even if you went 140 years back, that maybe the model of policing uh, has had some huge deficiencies in it. And, and, and I say that because when, when you look at what it is we aim to do, we, we go out to, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, protect, um, we're trying to serve. And we do that by, um, by going to scenes that are, emotion filled and, and, and often tragedy and, uh, filled. We, um, 
<clears throat> we 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 look for bad guys. We, we try to make the arrests of those offenders, and and uh, well well we. Uh, during our follow-up investigation, just really every, every you know all the different components of police, from the first responders uh, at the scene to the for the follow-up investigators, and we we expose ourselves to to some really difficult things to process. Arguably, some things that the the, the human mind really isn't made to process. Uh, you know, in a lifetime, each of us will will go through our our share of of uh, grief and, um, and and for some of us tragedy. But your police officers throughout the country and the world, for that matter. Um, they're exposed to, to a lot of people's tragedy and a lot of people's grief. And it isn't, it isn't fair to tell police officers, Hey, uh, just don't take it home, you know, leave it in your locker because in reality, it's impossible to do that. Well, um, and for so long, there's really been a stigma about talking, talking yeah. about it and talking about mental health, particularly for police officers yeah. that, that they didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want to get put on desk duty or, or, you know, have to talk to someone particularly outside of the department. Yeah. Or look weak, mm -hmm. right? You wear this uniform, you wear this badge, uh, somehow that should, uh, be synonymous with, with, uh, you know, bravery, uh, at all costs, right. To not show weakness at all costs, but it's not true. It's not human. And, and I think that, um, you know, when I talk about some of the flaws in, in the model of policing is we should have recognized that early on, that it isn't a different, it's not, it's not a matter of how tough you are, uh, whether, you know, you showing to be emotional or impacted by something that you experienced or a scene that you went to. It, it's not a matter of whether you're brave, if it doesn't affect you, if you appear to, for it to not affect you versus if it, if it does. As a matter of fact, it's probably more brave and more strength if it if it did show that it affected you. If you were emotional about it, that's real bravery, that, and and that's human. Well, and there's been discussion of kind of using a trauma informed model of policing and, and involving that, and the fact is that that also impacts our, our police and the fact that you all are seeing things that people are not used to seeing, and it. There's, there's an element of re-traumatization when they're showing up on a scene and they're seeing things and they're interacting with the, the same people in those ways. Yeah, the re-traumatization is absolutely real. Um, but for, for a police officer, it is, um, it's a series of, uh, often it's a series of suppressing trauma. There is, not a, there is no mechanism that's in place to address true trauma to address the tragedy, to address the emotion or, or the human, uh, you know, really just, I guess, the human trauma of that scene. It, it is, it's, it's quickly replaced with a, you know, let's go do our report and, and let's, you know, take a look at the computer screen. There's a lot of other priority calls holding. Let's get to the next one. Let's get to the next one. And, um, essentially that's a form of suppression. We just move on. We, we forget about it, but it's never, we never really forget about it. You know, it's just that, and this is where the, I think the science and the medical uh, research in in, uh, in trauma and PTSD, and you know, it, it's it's come a long way to recognize that hey, these things are still there and they're start they're still are effectiveness, but we haven't bridged to the point where we say here's what we're going to do about it in policing. We have uh, psych services in policing that are available, but it does require that individual police officer to recognize that that they are um, that they're not right and to, to kind of bridge and, and go through that stigma of it does this look weak or am I going to be looked at a certain way and to get to that help. But even then, at that point, we're now we're treating symptoms um, of a greater problem. And, and, and you know, again, it, it's uh, 
it, it is a we no one no one thinks that policing is not stressful no one thinks that it isn't a difficult profession true but there's so much more that needs to be done to ensure that these men and women often 21 year old 22 year old men and women that are coming into a profession of service of protection uh we have to ensure that they're protected and that they're equipped to be able to handle these rigors and and i don't think that we've gotten to that point in policing yet and uh and, and as long as we don't i think that um, we really, uh, you know, we put a lot of our, our young men and women at risk of not necessarily the dangers of policing, but at risk of really being the men and women that they aspire to be servants, uh, you know, servants and protectors of their families and, and their, their children and those things that are, that are important. I think your police officer uh, can handle uh, in, a, in a pretty, to a pretty successful degree, um, the things that they see out there in policing but it's when it's coupled sometimes with the stressors of home life and and maybe an illness or a relationship or some uh, a health issue. I think that's when we get into these these danger zones and and uh, we've got to do something about it. We've got to do more. Well, and how have you all incorporated mental health into some of the training that you're doing, whether it's for the, those new recruits or folks who, quite frankly, have been on the job for decades? Well, I I think. Um, in a large part, uh, I think, uh, you know, I credit the, a lot of the police associations in Dallas. Um, you know, they have resources available through peer support, uh, counseling. Um, you know, they have unanimous uh, uh, methods of, of, of reaching out for, you know, counseling services that they'll pick up the bill for, for our families. And uh, I think they've come a long way and, and they've done a lot. Um, uh, you know, I think Dallas PD is, is you know, you're probably hearing me say this several times. I think we're one of the best police departments in the country uh, for a lot of reasons. And that's not uh, because I'm an assistant chief. I've thought that ever since I was a, a you know, a slick sleeve police officer. <laughs> uh, but we do have um, in our psych services, we do have more doctors than, than uh, most uh, departments have. Uh, they do proactive stuff going out into the units and, and, and kind of trying to listen in on uh, responding to different crime scenes, listening in on debriefings. They just do things that are forward thinking. Um, but I think the, uh, curriculum in, in the Academy, while I'm, I haven't seen it, uh, you know, a recent model of, of what T Cole mandates or Texas commission on law enforcement training, uh, mandates right now, they, they create awareness to stressors and they create awareness and, and talk about, you know, the, the, the dieting exercise, rest, those types of things. And, uh, and the impacts that they can have on our stress, but, but, uh, as a, you know, as a person myself who you know, uh, who, uh, you know, I even consider myself, uh, a, uh, a casualty of, of some of the, um, the trauma of policing. And, 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 and I would add that, that any police officer, any Dallas police officer who has five years on this police department is also a casualty of, of some of the, the trauma of PTSD, uh, as a result of July 7th attacks. Uh, but the point is that the, sometimes exercising, you know, eating right and, and getting your rest isn't enough. There, there's techniques and tools and other things that I think we should should be implemented that are not. Well, and like you said, exercise or hobby and and you know, kind of the usual stress relief may may work fine for someone who has a less stressful job. But you commented that you all certainly have a higher stress and perfectly are encountering trauma more often than 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 the normal desk job, desk person, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> office job. Yeah, I think that's it. 
Yeah, I would agree. That's uh, that's, that's, that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, it's a question. I mean, you obviously be, being a police police officer, you've done the you're in this basically your whole life now. But what would you say to a young person who is thinking about being a police officer? I mean, knowing what you know now and talking about the fact that you look at these officers who've been been with us uh, for five years or more, which now we're coming up on the anniversary of the July um, 7th incident. What would you tell a young person who was interested in following in your footsteps? Um, I would tell them that at at this point in their lives, up to this point, but just on the on the eve of becoming a police officer, I would tell them that you are more equipped right now at this very moment to be a police officer and to have a long sustainable career than you will be once you embark on this profession and, and, I, and i would i would tell them that the reason is because up until this point in your life you have very likely made a lot of the right decisions you've very likely uh gotten adequate rest and you've gotten an education and you've learned and you've celebrated and you've and you've interacted with with people who uh you know are uh like-minded and encouraging and You've done all the things that that really the things that make you a qualified police candidate. Uh, coincidentally, are the things that make you a successful police officer. But now you're going to be embarked in a world. You're about to embark in a world of of, of negative uh, forces that'll that'll try to uh, vie for your attention and your and your influence. And you'll you'll start to gather different opinions about things just based on the frequency of of, of, of maybe uh, you know incidents or, or, or you know if you call it whether it's tragedy or, or just uh some of the dregs of society some areas where you'll be called to that you'll just see it, it'll it'll aim to take your peace away but don't let it because what you have to do in those areas is you have to be the exact person that you were you have to continue to be optimistic and positive and encouraging and you have to be a light in in these dark places and when you are um that's that's service Right. That's really what 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 people, uh, you know, often people who are in, you know, domestic violence relationship, poor relationships, they have to call it, you know, frequently have to call the police and get the police there in, in those areas. What they need more than anything is not necessarily somebody to come save them from that situation. They need somebody that inspires them, somebody that's an example, somebody. That, and sometimes you can be that inspiring, that, that inspiring, you know, character or example by just your, your confidence, by just your, your compassion, by certainly your empathy, by your guidance, your direction, people are easily influenced and your opportunity to influence, the opportunity to influence exists everywhere. And it goes up and down. It's not, it's not police officer to chief. Some it's, it's, or chief to police officer. It's, it's, it's up, down, lateral. It happens everywhere. It's, it, it pays no attention to age or, or, or race, or it, it just exists. And so you have to, you have to look at policing for the sole purpose. The first and foremost, it's to help people. It's to serve people. I think if you're if you're continually focused on serving people empathetically and compassionately, you will be successful and you will be able to endure the, some of the uh, the the rigors of this of this profession. But if it's for anything other than that, if it's for action or it's for your own agenda to try to rid community of, oh, I'm going to rid the community of drunk drivers already. That won't get it done. It's got to be service for the people who are in need. It's just, I think that's the motto. I think that's how, you know, personally, I think that's how God created us. Uh, we are meant to serve people. We are meant to, 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 to take the strengths that we have and share them with others. And I think when we do that 
and model that invoicing uh, selflessly, uh, I think that uh, everything else kind of works, you know, paves its way for us or helps uh, create that path. Well, and it's interesting you talk about as a police officer that you all are really, you are influencing people and you're inspiring people. It's not just when I'm driving too fast down the freeway and I see cop and I'm like, well, better slow down. Uh, that, you know, that might've happened once or twice. But uh, when we talk kind of about that, about influencing in those ways, who, who are two or three people who really have influenced you and really helped shape you? Wow, uh, I love that question. Um, I, uh, you know, I think, uh, First of all, the the two people who have influenced me the most are are, are you know my mother and father. I uh, I always you know I often think back about my mom and dad had both had a seventh grade education, and my dad uh, you know is one of the toughest men I've ever known. You know um, he is he he's also has the absolute uh, best work ethic of any man I've ever known in my life. I mean, here's a, here's a man who's relied on mother nature half the time to be able to provide. And, uh, he's just gritty. He just works and he works and he works. He's a dirt road guy. And, and, um, you know, again, second to no one in, in, in category of, of just, uh, work ethic. And then my mom is, she is the epitome of, uh, you know, verse Philippians two in the Bible that just says, uh, treat everyone, uh, as, um, as the, you know, uh, <laughs> with approach everything with selfless, uh, you know, conceit, place everyone regards for everyone before your own. So she does, she's selfless. She puts everyone before her and she is just, a, you know, again, the epitome of a servant. And so you combine those two and, and it's just really, you know, my brother, uh, it, my older brother is a Colonel in the air force. Um, two college degrees. My, my little sister is uh, a junior high school teacher um, and two college degrees. And, and, and I'm a police officer, uh, two college degrees. So these, uh, I, they're my, they're, they're my biggest influence. And, and, and so I'm grateful for, you know, I'm grateful for them, but, but, you know, along the, along the uh, years, over the years, I, I've managed to really have some good supervisors. Uh, I had a good supervisor back in San Antonio that I didn't mention, uh, David Salinas. This guy was, uh, you know, he's, he's still a mentor of mine. Uh, 25 years later, I still reach out to him when I need advice or guidance. And it's just, he has this, just this ability to look through the fluff and just kind of see the, the nuts and bolts of something. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, always laced with enough uh, faith, you know, and a message in there to, reference in the Bible and, 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 and to, to kind of get me where I need to be. But, um, there, there are many, uh, those are probably three of the, the, the three that stand out the most. Well, so you were a finalist for the DPD police chief job before chief Eddie Garcia from San Jose was chosen and you were recently promoted to assistant chief. So, uh, clearly he, he saw, he certainly understands your value here. And so how's your relationship been with the new chief and how are you all working together to help the department? Yeah. Well, um, our relationship is really good. Uh, I, I will tell you that um, I've, I've had conversations with him. I, I have regular conversations with him and, uh, you know, he had uh, a, an opening, you know, 30, 60 days here on DPD like no one else. I mean, you know, we had, we lost, uh, you know, we lost uh, several police, two police officers, one to the, the, uh, the virus and another to on the freeway. And, um, 
We have just seen the city shut down during the time he was here. We've just seen so many things that have happened uh, that uh, your average police chief doesn't really, you know, usually get within such a short amount of time. And and uh, I, I will tell you that it's my opinion, as well as uh, the opinion of, of many of you know the circles that I, I run with. That I mean, he, um, I don't know that he could have handled those situations any better. And that he he is just a he is he a, he is a sheer example of someone who has just got an incredible amount of, of experience at, at the top of an organization because he is he's just you know calculated about his response he's confident about where we're going and how we're going to address the situation strikes a, a really good balance of, of command presence experience knowledge and passion for for for, for policing and service um, fellow commanders and myself you know uh, we've had discussions and, you know, um, <laughs> on the side about, about some of, you know, the way he's handled some situations and, and what we're doing moving forward as a department, um, both policy wise and, and especially as a, you know, operationally as a, as a crime approach and just unanimously, we're, we're just like, you know, we're going to get the opportunity to really learn, uh, from somebody who's been there and it's going to benefit all of us. It's going to benefit this police department and, and certainly the city and the community. So, uh, relationship's good. We're, 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 um, we're very optimistic. Well, that's great. So, and Chief Garcia is our first Hispanic police chief here right. in Dallas. Talk to me a little bit about that and being Latino and, and how, you know, how, how that might be a little bit different. Yeah, no, uh, we, um, you know, from as early back as, as, uh, in my legislative role, uh, in the, in the, uh, 2017 legislative session, uh, Senate Bill 4 was passed, the immigration bill, or the, the like, I guess they called it the Sanctuary Cities Bill. And so uh, as we worked against that bill, and, and we were we were against it um, as a city and as a police department, mostly from the, from the standpoint of, uh, hey, this is going to create a lot of fear in, in our communities. And if you really understand the intricacies of, of policing and particularly investigations, we need our community to give us leads and tips and information. That's how we solve crime. And if we if we have a community, especially a, a community like the Latino community that was growing and then there's a, really a big percentage of the uh, majority um, uh, percentage of, um, uh, of the city demographically, we wanted to make sure that we uh, we had mechanisms in place to, to say, hey, here's what the law means. It doesn't mean that police are gonna be um, you know, deporting you. The, the law means this, but there, sometimes the education and the, the that really doesn't get to the community, just the fear of, hey, it's an immigration bill. And people definitely were afraid. I mean, there were Absolutely. women who were victims of domestic violence who weren't calling the police because they were afraid that, that they might be deported absolutely. or detained. Absolutely. Uh, that, that is, it's absolutely true that, that, and that absolutely exists. And that's, it should be uh, incredibly concerning to, to any police organizations, especially your, your leadership. Aside from that, you know, we also had, uh, because of the misconception of, of what the law actually meant or what the bill meant, we had thousands of children going to school every day. And aside from being, a, you know, a school-aged, an adolescent, a teenager going to school and the challenges within that world, um, now there were thousands of children who also had this other burden of, hey, my mom and dad might get deported when they drop me off at school. They may get pulled over. They may, I may come home and be homeless. I may come home and not have a parent. And that stress 
that was so incredibly real. And it exists. These weren't stories that were being made. These were school counselors and school officials that were telling us, this is what our children are saying now. Um, I worked for, the, for a school at the time uh, for a preschool that served primarily Hispanic families. And it was all of a sudden we saw children not coming to school because parents were afraid. Right. Right. And can you imagine what that feels like? I could, and like to them, I mean, it, it, the weight that they were carrying, couldn't even imagine. Like, well, I don't know that you or I have ever had to carry that type of stress or, or in, in our, in our lives. But, but we knew that, um, you know, many of the men and women and children in our community, the community that we protect and serve, were now carrying that. And so, so it was concerning to us. And, and me as a, as the legislative liaison, I set out with the city of Dallas to do some campaigns, some Spanish speaking messages and, and what got out in the community with our Unidos program. And we did, we, I think, you know, we did some really good stuff, but, but we weren't, we weren't getting to the ears of the people that it needed to get to at the level it needed to get to. And even if we were, we were just one and two and three people. Right. And so it, it um, we needed, uh, I felt we needed this like this cultural shift. Like we really needed to recognize this as a department. This is what part of our community is carrying and, and collectively, Hey, let's brainstorm. How do we get to them? How do we get better? How do we create these relationships and this confidence and this trust in their policing? And, um, and so we've built off of that since 2017, we've been trying to build off of that. Um, when Chief Hall was named police, uh, police chief, uh, several years ago, she, she named me as the Latino liaison, uh, really to try to have a chief level officer that was, that was interacting with the community. And I think that that was, um, you know, I think that was, was, was helpful. I think it, it, it did, it did kind of create our, our department philosophy was, was really, you know, aiming to, 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 to reach a larger, um, uh, you know, to, to get our message to a larger group of people and, and, and really showing our commitment. Uh, and I think that when Eddie Garcia, you know, was named and, and now he, you know, he does his pressers in English and in Spanish. And, uh, I just think that it's, it's just, again, it's that continual involvement and that commitment of this city and this police department to, to, uh, to, to our Latino community and, and understanding that they are our eyes and ears. We can't do this. Policing was never meant to do this without them. And that, um, you know, together we're stronger. And so I think we continue that, that message and, and we're in, uh, you know, with, with him really, uh, putting those, those systems in place in our public information office and in our investigative groups, it's all building towards that. Well, so what's been your proudest moment uh, with, with DPD, whether it's something you've done legislatively or, you know, when you did a great bus, when you were undercover with narcotics or what, what's been that thing that you're, you're most proud of? I think the thing that I'm most proud of uh, in my, in my time here at DPD is, is actually something that, that I uh, helped create really outside of, of the police department. And it's something that, uh, that uh, we called um, a safety ministry. So in 2017, uh, you may remember in November, 2017, there was a, a 25 people were killed in Sutherland Springs in a church shooting. Uh, Sutherland Springs is 15 minutes from my hometown uh, of Floresville. So there were people in my hometown who attended that, that church. And um, aside from just the, the, the horrifics of that uh, shooting um, and, and the lives that were lost, the children uh, who, were, who were killed and, and um, there was a, uh, I always have had this, this uh, you know, kind of a, a calling to try to uh, help protect those vulnerable targets. And so, you know, we, we, we had done some training with mass shootings and, and you know, 
regarding uh, office buildings. And then we had seen some, uh, we knew that our churches were very vulnerable targets. And so um, at my church, I lived at the time, I lived in, in uh, Plano and I attended uh, uh, St. Francis of Assisi's Catholic Church in, mm-hmm. in uh, Frisco. Uh, Father Rudy was the pastor there, who I love. And so uh, I uh, um, met with his, uh, his team and talked about, um, you know, what type of resources do we have within our congregation? We have one of the largest congregations in the state of Texas uh, at that church. And, and, and maybe we could put, you know, I want to have this vision of putting together a voluntary um, safety team. I didn't want to call it security because it didn't want, you know, there's some liability pieces in the church was just saying that you have security, but, but just a safety team, some, a group of men and women who almost served similar to the way the ushers or greeters would, but we were, we were the eyes and ears. We were just looking for things and I could teach them things to look for. Um, you know, we could, we could, we would commit to greeting everyone that walked in the church and, and to welcome them, but yet, you know, do a little screening of, 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 you know, uh, you know, do they have weapons? Uh, you know, what, what was the demeanor? Like, was there anything, uh, you know, but back then there was concerns about explosives or concerns about assault rifles. This in 2017, this was, it was a little bit bigger, um, you know, uh, topic in our, in our country. We'd, we'd seen, uh, uh, Charleston, we'd seen some other church shootings that were just horrible. And, and um, so anyway, we trained them. I, I trained them on, on just things to look for. And then we trained them on some of the, the facts that we knew about, about, uh, these mass shootings, the majority of the, uh, the, the carnage occurred within the first four minutes. So if we could get police started rolling, uh, quicker, we could, we could, we could reduce casualty. If we taught programs like run, hide, fight, uh, that's been endorsed by the Department of Homeland Security, you, you running is, 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 it makes you a harder target. You know, you're running, uh, you know, if we, um, you know, hide only in those events where in those situations where you're already hidden and, and then if you're in that situation where you have no choice, then you fight. And here's some of the ways that you, you can fight just with some of the things that might be around you in a, in a restroom or in an office. And, and I trained all the volunteers to, to know the exact address and, and to here's what a dispatch call sheet looks like. So you start the sounding off in this order. So that dispatcher isn't flipping screens or they're just, you're just reading it right off of the dispatch sheet. This is where I'm at. This is the location. This is what's occurring. This is what he looks like. This is where we're at. And, and all of these things, all of these inches of opportunities out there um, would save lives. And we had dozens and dozens of volunteers come out. And, and so, um, and so is this a program that you all have helped other churches and workplaces with as well then? So we started it uh, at the St. Francis of Assisi's and then the diocese liked it. And then they started, uh, I think there were other churches that we're looking at models. So they used our model, um, and and so I believe it's it's there's several churches that are using that exact model. I know that we have um, uh, we've talked with other churches here in Dallas because we want to make it, it available to everyone. And, and I've told even other police officers. We have um, SWAT officers that that uh, you know will do this kind of uh, work, or, or you know just have them in their own churches. And I've made that template, that PowerPoint, that training available. And I've told everyone it is available to everyone. Um, the only, uh, the, you know, the only, uh, uh, requirement I have is that no one gets charged anything for it. This is absolutely, uh, free and available to any church who wants to consider if they think they have the amount of resources to put together a, a, a volunteer, uh, safety, um, 
team. And so, uh, yeah, so my understanding, I, 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 we've moved since then. I'm, I'm in Dallas now, but uh, my understanding is it's still going strong. And, and uh, you know, we, we again, we make it available to any church that's interested in it. What a wonderful thing that you all are, are bringing safety to a place that people really do look at as a safe uh, place of solace and, and, yeah. and fellowship there. That, that's remarkable that you all have done that. So, so what's next for you? Oh gosh, that's the you know, that's the million dollar question. I, I um you put in twenty five and a half here. Your assistant chief. What's next? I um, you know, I I, uh, I think what I'm going to do is 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 take advantage of this opportunity to uh, to to learn from uh, you know our, our police chief. Uh, I, I, we've got a good set of, of upper command staff in place that uh, I love, and I think um, I'm going to enjoy watching them grow and 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 enjoy watching this police department really uh, take a, 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 you know, turning a corner here. There's some good stuff happening in BPD, some really good stuff. And I think that, you know, I've had commanders and supervisors come up to me and say, hey, things are changing, morale's changing, people are getting, and I see it. And this is something that we've longed for for, for years and years. Uh, so I think I'm gonna enjoy it and and I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep working hard. I mean, I, I consider myself a student of, of policing and I'm constantly looking to, to, to try to be better and, and uh, lead better. And, um, I'm going to do that. And then I think, you know, I'm, I, I turned 50 in about a year and a half. Um, I think, I think shortly after that, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll reassess and, uh, make a decision there. But, uh, I, I'm, I can't imagine that I have, you know, too much, too much. Why I was, like I said, I was blessed to, to went to school at SMU, um, pony up. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, uh, I've made some great contacts and I really good network and, um, I think at some point, you know, while I love this profession and I'm grateful for the opportunity I've served, I, I, I want to go, you know, just see what else is out there. Try something different maybe, but uh, we'll see. Fair enough. All right. So what question have I not asked you that I should have asked? Uh, I don't think there is one. I, I, you, <laughs> we covered I mean, a lot? <laughs> no, you're, but you really, I mean, these, they were great uh, thought provoking questions and, and uh, I, I, I've enjoyed this, but um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I want to. I, I guess. It, I guess uh, maybe not a question, but but I want to thank you. Uh, I know you're a philanthropist, and, and and you do this stuff because you you want to get um, the message out there to the community about things that, that are that are happening that are good. And, and um, I, I've I feel I've felt for a long time that the city of Dallas, probably like most cities, but the city of Dallas is equipped with everything that we need to make this uh, the most vibrant, safest, big city in America. And it's because of people like you. And, 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 and it, we, if we work together, if we come together and, you know, just to kind of brainstorm about, hey, here are the resources we have. Here's the, here's the, the footprint, here's the audience, uh, here's the skill set, uh, or here's the passion that I have. Where can I use it? I think collectively we could, we could put people in positions to really, um, really serve this community, those, those areas of our community that, that might need um, counseling or maybe need help with, you know, just, uh, you know, job applications or, or opportunities or, or uh, I think if we can come together, we could align these resources. I think we can do some incredible things in this city. Uh, but you're an example of that. So well, thank you, thank you for so much for your kind words. So at the, you know, at the end of the at the end of these interviews, we always like to ask. So, what's your favorite Dickies meat and favorite Dickies side? <laughs> I'm a ribs guy. Okay, All right, so ribs yeah, guy. I'm a ribs okay. guy. And, and uh, so, I, 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 my favorite meat is the ribs. Um, 
You know, I guess uh, I like baked beans. I'm a South Texas guy, you know, but uh, uh, yeah, anyway, it's all good. I love it all. <laughs> all right, so we always finish up with a lightning round. I'm going to give you two choices and you're going to give me your favorite. Okay. All right, first one, barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Gosh, I, so because I can't answer off the top because it's it's like there's a mood like you go you go there for jalapeno beans sometimes but but not all the time so so I'm gonna stick with the baked beans. That, that all right, okay, sweet or unsweet tea? Sweet all day. Chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Sliced. Sauce or no sauce? Sauce. Brisket or pulled pork? Risky. And I know the answer to this one. Ribs or wings? Ribs. All day. All right. Well, thank you all so much today. My guest today has been Dallas Police Department Assistant Chief Ruben Ramirez. Thank you so much for joining me, Chief, and thank you for everything you do for the city of Dallas. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.
Thanks so much for listening to the first part of my interview with Dallas Fire Rescue Chaplain Elaine Maddox and her husband, Dallas Fire Rescue retired Lieutenant Steve Maddox. Please tune in next week to hear the second part of our interview.